0: All right. Let's bring him in now. It's Craig Custance from The Athletic. He covers the league uh, across the NHL uh, and does a great job doing that. He joins us on air with Israel Fair and Alex Bear. Craig, uh, this week that's heading c- coming up with the draft and with free agency at the end of the week has got the potential to be one of the, the crazier weeks uh, in terms of NHL movement. Uh, what are you hearing? What are your expectations for exactly what's going to play out next week in terms of uh, the volume that we might be seeing next
1: week? Yeah, it's, it, you're right. It, like, when, I, when I talk to people, they say, it's going to be crazy. Um, in terms of what I'm hearing right now, I'm hearing some frustration, right? Because I think there's some general managers and some teams that don't have a great sense yet of the price that's going to be paid for some of these players in terms of free agency. Even at RFAs, like you can't always use comparables from a different time, right? And, and so, you know, I, I know there's some general managers, let's say, that have some cap space that are like, look, just us taking on that contract should be enough to make a trade, let alone giving an asset back in the, the right. teams that are trading these players. Like, no, oh, you know, these players still have value. And and so I, I think there maybe is a bit of a log jam until some of that gets sorted out. And on, on what what are these players worth? What's the, the, the traditional trade value of even a really good player where you'd say, Hey, it's a, a first and a prospect. Well, you know, if I'm taking on seven or 8 million, you know, that has a lot of value. Now that's, that's also an asset. And I, I think that's kind of jamming things up a little bit right now.
2: Craig, there's a few teams that have an abundance of cap space. One of them is the team in your backyard with the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, But I also look at teams like the Ottawa Senators, potentially the Los Angeles Kings. What are those general managers thinking about how to, in such a unique circumstance this season, take advantage of the, the situation that they have in a market that's incredibly saturated with general managers trying to dump salary?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think each case is a little bit different. I mean, in Ottawa, you still have an ownership group that uh, people around the league don't expect to spend a lot. Right? You know, Eugene Melnick has a reputation as being cheap, right? He's going to be tight with the money. So, yes, that, you know, but they still have to get to the floor. Like There's still a certain amount of spending they have to do, which makes them a potential place for contracts. Detroit's a little bit different. Detroit... Um, you know, Detroit has an owner in the Illich's family that is traditionally will spend and will spend to get assets, and we saw Steve Eisman take advantage of that with the Mark Stahl trade. He has already said publicly he'll, you know, he's looking to do similar deals uh, to, to gain assets. So, so you know, you have that, and you also have a team in the Red Wings that probably wants to spend a little bit. And I think you know Eisman said he'd be conservative, but at least he's going to get into free agency some because you want. You don't want just young players, right? You want to surround it. So they're a little bit different in that, you know, they are willing to spend a little bit both in free agency and, and, in taking on bad contracts. A team that I think is really fascinating on this front is the New Jersey Devils. Cause that, again, this is a team that has cap space right now, but has a little bit different mission. They, you know, they want to be good. They're, they're Tom Fitzgerald doesn't want to be a lottery team. They've got three first round picks this year. So when you have a team you know, let's say the Blues get Petrangelo done, and they have to move a contract. Or you know, Vegas now with Robin Leonard, they're squeezed. They're going to have to move a contract. I think New Jersey's kind of laying in the weeds, saying, "Hey, you know, we've got cap space. Maybe we can get somebody on the cheap um, and, and use that cap space and, and capitalize there." So it's interesting. Each of these teams that you mentioned that have space have different motives too, and how to use it.
0: Well, the strategy there would be interesting, Craig, because I guess you could see it from both sides where a team like New Jersey, for example, could be waiting in the weeds and waiting for the market to set itself and and take advantage of an opportunity where a team has uh, committed big money, like you said, let's say Petrangelo goes back to St. Louis, and then they can take advantage of that, but Could a team try and be aggressive in this market? Because it it really does seem like uh, there's kind of a a lot of uncertainty, uh, and especially when you look at uh, here in Vancouver with the goalie market. So the Robin Leonard deal gets done and there's still a lot of talk about, well, okay, what's Jacob Markstrom's market going to be? And the talk locally is that while I think the Canucks and, and Markstrom's camp would like to have something done before free agency, because there is this this great uncertainty about how these markets, whether it's free agency or trade, are going to play out because of, of all of these different circumstances uh, to consider.
1: It's it's really hard, right? So if you're if you're Vancouver and you're Markstrom, and both sides do like like the, there's a deal to be done there, um, but. You know, it, like for instance, you look at Boston, and you know, we, there's been a little bit of smoke around Tuca Rask. And so, like, let's say there's some monster deal where Tuca Rask gets traded, and the Bruins—they're only doing that if they're confident that they can get another high-end goalie to come in. Like, they're not a rebuilding team; they want to win a Stanley Cup. They're doing it because they—you know—they—they they, they feel like they can get assets back and, and address some different needs. Well, now all of a sudden, if you have a premier team that's willing to spend that needs a goalie. And you're Newport, and you're Jacob Markstrom. Yeah, you, you know your value just went up, and so I think you know I can see where there'd be some trepidation to get a deal done until you really have a clear understanding of, of what the market looks like. Um, but at the same time, there are so many goalies available right now, and, and you hear it every year. It's the it's, you know the merry-go-round, and you don't earn it's musical chairs. You don't want to be the one that's left without a chair, um, and so you know you you have guys like Matt Murray that are sitting there, and Jim Rutherford's eager to get a deal done, and you you know you have goalies with, with some success. I mean, earlier, you're not hearing as much now, but a guy like Freddie Anderson potentially available. And, and, you know, Semyon Barlamov is a name I've heard out there with the Islanders potentially looking to move some money. So um, it's, it's, it's wild. It, and really you're right. I think there's maybe opportunity if you're an aggressive team and you want to say, Hey, you know, we're just going to try to get our guy and take advantage of it. But there seems to be so much supply that if you don't care, if you're like, you know, we think it's Robin Leonard and everybody else, or maybe we think it's, it's Leonard and Markstrom and everybody else. Um, you know, however you divvy up those tiers, if you really don't care about those next five or six, you can be super patient here.
2: The Athletics' Craig Custance joining us here on air with Israel Fair and Alex Blair. Craig, I wanted to ask you, the other name that's popped up here in Vancouver in the last 48 hours is Arizona's Oliver Ekman Larson Uh, at 29. He's got seven years left at 8.25. The sense I get is that Bill Armstrong, the new GM there is trying to shed salary and would like to make a move. It seems like they instigated this with their player, Um, but he has a no move clause and has only given them two teams, one, the Vancouver Canucks and the other, the Boston Bruins. I know you've spent a little bit of time a little earlier when when OEL was re-signing in Arizona, but what's your sense of, You know what is Oliver ekman Larson at this point? He was a a sixth overall pick in 2009. I think there were there was high hopes for him, but there's a lot of debate now about what he could be on another roster on uh, on a defensive roster.
1: Yeah, it's a great question, and I and I know you're not the only one asking that. Like I literally like had a GM say, you know, where where do you think this guy's at at this point? Like what what are you getting in Oliver ekman Larson? And I would say when you talk to people, the consensus is they still people really like Oliver Ekman Larson. They just don't like him at eight point two five, right? So you have as a, as an acquiring team, you have to say, okay, we still think he's he's a, a top pair defenseman, or maybe you think he's a three. Whatever it is, what what is that worth? to You is that worth six million? And then you know, so you got to send money back, or Arizona has to retain, which I don't know if that's something they're going to want to do there. So. You know, I'm I'm in that camp. Like, I, I think it, it, it's it's not like that team was horrible. Like, there's other good defensemen that was, a, a you know, a team that played with some structure. So it's not like Eklund Larson was playing on a bad team and you couldn't get a sense of the player he was. I just think he's a guy that's, that has a really high premium um, in terms of his contract. He's 29 years old. Um, and, again, he's limited the market with, with you know, the couple of teams that, that are believed to be um, an option for Bill Armstrong. Um, but the one thing I would say, I mean, you there is a belief, yes, that the Arizona Coyotes are are looking to cut money for sure, 100%. You know, but I I wouldn't be surprised also if Ekman Larson is like, you know, enough here, uncle, like this team's been kind of in turmoil for a long time. I wouldn't, you know, I I wouldn't be shocked if it's it's mutual on both ends that, that it would make sense to move on here.
2: One of the suggestions that SportsNet's Elliot Friedman made was that Louis Erickson might be a piece that could go the other way in part because his actual cash is below the cap hit. Um, Erickson's obviously on a a long deal that has been a bit of an anchor for the Canucks. Um, Just give me your overall thoughts about, you know, could that work? And maybe what you first, what you thought of when you first heard ekman Larson and Vancouver linked. Did you think it was a potential fit?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I see why it makes sense. I actually thought Calgary made more sense just because of... um... The need on defense of the Calgary Flames, just because Brad Living was part of the group that drafted Oliver Ekman-Larsson, so there's a familiarity there. Uh, you know, you start to connect those dots, and that's often what happens. Where my concern, if you're Vancouver, if you're taking on this big salary and, you know, you still have – you can have some contracts to do down the road now. You know, with, I mean, you, go, you guys know the situation. There's going to be some big money to be paid. You're also trying to figure out what to do with your goalie. You're also trying to figure out, you know, if you – how you want to add? So, I'd be worried that if you're adding a a, a premier contract like that, you're you're furthering a, a squeeze. That's that's going to be an issue there in Vancouver. So, I can see why they're they're looking at it, but you know, I, I think it makes better sense elsewhere, really, to be honest, in terms of, because of future cap issues.
0: The Athletics, Craig Custance with us on air, Sportsnet six fifty. Uh, before we get to free agency, and, and I guess trade season will kick off. Uh, at least the expectation is that there's going to be a lot of trades at the draft. What are you hearing uh, about this year's draft and, and and the expectations for how the first round might unfold?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, as I'm sure you guys know, it seems like the top three is pretty carved out, right? So this is one of those drafts that really gets interesting at four, uh, which is held by the Detroit Red Wings, and then even five with the Ottawa Senators. And so that... Like that, to me, is where this draft begins. And, and that, that'll that be fascinating to see what direction the Red Wings go, and that's going to set everything in motion. And you have in, in the GM and Steve Eisenman, um a, a guy that plays things really close to the vest. Uh, nobody saw the Moritz Seider pick coming, including Moritz exciter, if you remember his reaction, was sitting in the stands stunned. So, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of people that have thoughts on what they think the Red Wings are going to do, but until that pick is actually made, um, you know I'm not buying it and, and then it, it, not only do you have this wild card and how it's going to play out for you know fourth through, uh, on down in the first round you have the the goalie the Russian goalie Oskarov who is the wild card um, who could go anywhere from four to the Red Wings who I don't think anybody would be shocked to see if Eisenman did that especially in this, considering this is the guy that drafted Vasilevsky in Tampa um, you know on down and and this is a you know he's he is a guy that people really believe is this franchise defining goalie. Um, but as you guys know, we teams are really low to take a goalie in the first round, especially the top half of the first round. So those are the two things I'm going to be watching is w- what happens for on and what happens with the goalie.
2: You had the athletics, Corey proman on your full 60 podcast this week, sort of setting up the draft. Uh, and I know you are uh, geographically quite close with Detroit. Uh, just any, you know, expand upon what you think detroit and steve eiserman could or could not do it for and and maybe the trickle down that that could have um you also mentioned the the senator's pick at five which is their second pick in the top five um any sense what they do there is it possible that they could move that pick
1: yeah it's funny because i thought they were a trade candidate and they've come out publicly and said look that's we're not looking to, to trade that pick and And, you know, and look, we all like to sit here and speculate about trades, especially at the top of the draft. And they're so rare. Like, when is a top five pick moved? And it it typically doesn't happen. But how often do you have a team pick in three or five? That never happens either. So, um, you know, to to start at four, in terms of the player that you're hearing the most and connected to the Red Wings is uh, Saginaw's Cole Perfetti. Uh, Corey Promen, as you mentioned, was on uh, the full 60. And if you're a draft nerd, in, as I am and Corey is, and I would suggest giving that a listen. He was great. Nobody knows it better. Nobody, you know, he's, uh, Corey is as connected as anybody when it comes to where players are going to go. And, and when I opted to handicap that, he, I think he said Cole Perfetti and he probably felt 60% confident in that pick, which isn't that high, right? And, and so that, you know, that's, again, because you have a team in Detroit that could go any number of directions, has a million different needs. The interesting thing about the senators pick at five is Corey suggested Jake Sanderson, the defenseman from the program in in Plymouth, Michigan, U.S. Uh, N T T D P Excuse me, and this is a guy who I, I think it's fascinating who has surged up the draft boards and, and really you know had a strong finish to the season. But we're sitting here, you know, not much has gone on in the last several months, and Jake Sanderson is a name that you've really it seems to have some momentum. Whereas a year ago or eight, eight to nine months ago, this is a guy that was, you're looking in the 10 to 15 range. And now in Corey's latest mock, he has him at five. And there just seems to be a lot of momentum on that, that, you know, this player. And I find that fascinating that there, you know, there are, there legitimately seems to be movers up and down the uh, the draft board when there's been, you know, very little hockey outside of Europe being played. And, and that's the wild card too. Like a guy like Lucas Raymond off to a hot start in, in Sweden. And it's, if you're a team saying, okay, we're, we're on the fence. Do you factor in those, whatever it is, seven, eight games? I, I don't know.
0: To that point, Craig, about the fact that there isn't a ton of hockey being played in North America right now, obviously the bubble experience was a big positive for the NHL in terms of uh, no positive tests, in terms of actually being able to play out the tournament and, and finish the season. But now the, the question after we get through next week and the draft and free agency is when, when are we going to, when are we going to see games again? What, what sense are you getting uh, as to the NHL's plans and in, in getting uh, next season going?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, that's the million dollar question. And we're sitting here. I thought the NFL was going to be a really good indication of how things were going to look with the NHL, because, you know, when you talk to teams, they, they have to have fans. Like they just can't go a full season without fans. And it's such a gate-driven league that, you know, there needs to be fans in the stands. And so you're sitting there watching, okay, how is the NFL going to play without a bubble? And now we're talking about games being delayed and high-profile players, you know, testing positive. Uh, I'm sure the NHL is watching that closely to see how that's playing out. I, you know, I'm at the point now where it's, where it's like, okay, I went from, maybe it's early January till now it's going to be you know late January before the NHL season starts, if at all. And, in the, you know, Gary Bettman has talked publicly about this, but there seems to be two goals here. It's, it's, you know, play with fans, but they also don't want to play anything less than an 82 game schedule. And you also have the Olympics in the summer next year. So you have a tight window. This is a, you, you can't have next season extending on in, into how this season went into late September. So, I don't know how you squeeze in a a season, a full 82-game schedule, and have fans in in the mix um, unless something changes dramatically. So um, I think back to that last, you know, the lockout season where it was shortened, they started the year in January, and it was actually one of my favorite years to cover because game one, and you're in a playoff race, and every game had a lot of meaning. I thought that was great, and, you know, I know it's not what the league wants, but at some point, as as we get more information here, you you have to assume that. It's going to look closer to that
2: than an 82-game season. The Athletics' Craig Custance joining us here on Sportsnet 650. Um, To that point with next season, Craig, one of the things that was raised this week, uh, at least north of the border, was the sort of memo of understanding for the new CBA in which the players have agreed to a 20% um, uh, cap on escrow. Uh, They've done a 10% salary deferral. But it seems like there's a little bit of misunderstanding between the players and the teams as to whether salaries are going to be prorated, where the players believe that if the puck drops for a single game next season, they are entitled to their full salary minus those deductions, whereas some of the teams believe that the salaries will be prorated based on the number of games. Uh, Just wondering if you've heard anything on that, and do you see that becoming a big issue going forward as we look to start next season?
1: Yeah, like I this is not, like I've I've heard what you guys have heard on this. I haven't talked to anyone specifically on this because we've been kind of knee, knee deep in some of the trades and draft stuff. But like that's a real problem, right? Like the players, I can tell you, like players weren't dying to play this summer in the bubble, and that was a this was a concession they made so that they could get some guarantees about what their contracts and what the, their salary was going to look like moving forward. And now you know you have this potential of prorated salaries. And it, it, it will be a problem if if players have this expectation that that you know whatever Estro looks like, that was the cap, and they had a certain amount of guarantees after that. You know, if there was a different level of expectations with ownership, that's going to be a re- huge issue. And you know, maybe that is why we've heard the league be so adamant that they want to play eighty-two games because you know this is this is not an issue that they want to deal with. So you know, those are all these are all big questions. But I can tell you that you know the reason the reason it was all tied together. Um, So they could get these games played in the bubble, which the owners wanted, which players didn't necessarily want to, but the players were willing to do it because they had some guarantees on what their salary looked like. And it would be a a huge issue if they start feeling they're getting shorted there. Absolutely.
2: And lastly, we'll get you out of here on this. Um, one of the big stories that took place that we haven't heard a lot about now was uh, former general manager John Chaka's exit from uh, Arizona. I'm just wondering if you have heard anything in regards to when there may be a ruling from Gary Bettman and, and a timeline on when there may be a conclusion to that situation.
1: Yeah, no, you, there's there's not a lot of um, certainty there. And, and it, it's funny, it was like, that whole kind of thing came out and, and John quietly disappeared. And, you know, this is going to be ultimately a, a fight over wording and contracts with Gary Bettman and the commissioner's office. And my guess, the way the league operates is, you know, they have things that they have to deal with at the front of the line, um, you know, that we getting through the bubble, getting through the draft, getting through free agency and, and then go from there. But, but I will say this, you know, this was, you know that this was a such an odd situation with a, a, a gm who you know until this all came out that the owner seemed to really like and and then you know there was some sort of divorce that happened there um but you know i wouldn't be surprised like i you know, i don't think we've seen the last of john chica in some role in, in the sport or at high level high levels in in sports like this is a guy that's well thought of and really smart forward-thinking progressive you know young mind. so you know, this stuff has to get settled. I don't know what that timeline looks like, but I do know, you know, we're gonna get into mid October and November and things are gonna slow down and, and my guess is it'll get taken care of sometime then.
0: Well, next week's gonna be a big one and uh I look forward we look forward to reading your work and all the the great work that goes on at the athletic. Not that I'm biased in any respect, but uh, <laughs> uh, thanks a lot for doing this, Craig.
1: All right, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me.